Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the RBC students. If you're visiting Florida, yes, it's hot in Florida. It is not always this hot. Um, this should be one of the bowls in Revelation if it's not already. Um, it, it, it feels like it. The good thing is I don't think it can get any hotter than this. Um, all right, we'll see. So I am really excited for this Revelation series. I hope you prepared for a three-hour sermon this morning. Um, because I can do it, don't tempt me, but I won't. Um, I want to begin with a very interesting quote. I don't always agree with G.K. Chesterton, but he has a great perspective on things. Here's what he said about the book of Revelation. Though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creatures so wild as one of his own commentators. Um, this is a true statement. Uh, many of you, most people are scared or intimidated to read through, to study, to learn the book of Revelation, or maybe they're too excited because they've read some kind of crazy commentary, some kind of interpretation that identifies uh, Mussolini, Nero, the uh, you know, fall of the uh, German Republic, you know, whatever you, you, you want to identify in history, and gets everyone all caught up in hysteria over the details. And so many people, even if you haven't heard that, they're, they're distracted by what they don't understand and they miss the point of the book. That's why we are studying it. This morning, we are not going to miss the forest for the trees. The forest is this beautiful picture of what Christ is doing in his church. If I was to preach one sermon, if I was to summarize the book of Revelation, this would be the forest. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus... The faithful and true says to the church, trials, persecutions, and great enemies will torment you at times, but I have conquered them and you will reign with me forever. That is why we're going through Revelation. Let me repeat that. Jesus, the faithful and true says to the church, trials, persecutions, and great enemies will torment you at times, but I have conquered them and you will reign with me forever. That's the forest. The temptation is to be like, well, what's the trumpet? Who's the beast? What exactly is, is, is the dragon? That doesn't matter if you know the one who reigns in the end. Amen? Excuse me. The one who reigns now and we will reign with in the end. Getting ahead of myself. We're just getting started. Um, I do want us to look back at 2 Timothy a little bit. Uh, if you can flip there in your Bibles, this will also be up on the screen. But remember, we spent a lot of time, as Pastor Jesse prayed, in second, First and Second Timothy looking at instructions for the church. When we get intimidated by a book of Revelation or when we think that the interpretation and the uh, prophecies are only for this particular age, every age is trying to look for the different beasts. And there's a reason for that. But if we get caught up in that, we, we, we forget that it is written to the church. Here's what Paul says of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it applies to Revelation as well. He tells Timothy that he was acquainted with the uh, sacred Scriptures, continuing what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from childhood how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, including Revelation, is to make you wise for faith in Christ Jesus. Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, just like Revelation. There is teaching here. There is reproof here. There is correction. There is training in righteousness. 
if you understand the book of Revelation rightly, you will mature. You will be equipped for every good work. And that's our aim over the next nine weeks. Um, Also, chapter 4, verse 8. Remember, at the end of Paul's ministry, he has in mind, therefore, or excuse me, henceforth, from now on, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is what Paul is fixed on which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, the day that he returns, and not only me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. This book fleshes that verse out. What does it look like to live today in a fallen world, knowing that eternity is coming? What does it look like to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the crown he's promised us, to love his appearing and not fear with the world, the flesh, and the devil throws at us. This book is pastoral as well as prophetic. This is meant to be a book of encouragement and hope. And uh, John also told us, look at 1 John chapter 5. This is, this is consistent. This is not just in Revelation, but 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 sum up Revelation well. For everyone who has been born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It does not matter if you understand every symbol and every vision. It matters that your faith is in Jesus Christ. The one who revealed this to us so that he would get the glory when we see him triumph over his enemies. This is why we read the book, because in Christ, we stand with him on the final day. And all that happens in the book in the middle will be but a memory. This is a visual book. This is a book of pictures and sights and sounds. So if if your kids uh, got one of those sheets that Carter designed this morning, this is a a, a great book for for visuals. I know every week the kids look forward to it. And so we're going to try to point them, even in those visuals, to the heart of each text. So we're going to talk about the images. We're going to talk about the numbers and the creatures and the drama. But we're mainly going to talk about the spiritual focus of this book. Um, This book adds vivid imagery to Ephesians 6.12. You probably know Ephesians 6.12 because it's the verse that precedes wearing the whole armor of God. But here's what Paul says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The book of Revelation is the spiritual forces on earth and the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And believers, we we are born into, when you are born again in Christ, you are born into spiritual warfare. And Revelation is going to give us a lot of images of that. Um... And so I like what uh, Derek Thomas says. You know, in Matthew 16, 18, um, most of us know this, this verse. When he tells Peter, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going uh, to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. Derek Thomas says, if Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If that's the picture, Revelation is the movie. That's what we're going to be looking at. And we're also going to address... In these fantastic images, the dangers along the way, 
probably the most prevalent danger in reading and studying the book of Revelation is the ultra-literal interpretation. Meaning, every time you see a number, it means that number. Every time you see a color, it, it, it only means that, that color. Every time you see something, you see a 100-pound hail, it has to be a 100-pound hail, right? <laughs> no. Um, can't always say, mm-hmm, Bubba. Uh, that's the most common tendency. The most common tendency is, okay, I have to read this and I have to figure out every trumpet and every beast and every bull and every seal. There's a lot of imagery and symbolism in this book. You may do all that, but if you don't see Christ, you know nothing. I would rather you not understand what any trumpet, any seal, or any bowl is if you are hidden in Christ than spend your time worrying about things that will not ultimately affect you as believers. We may go through them, but it doesn't matter if we're standing with Christ in the end. And there's also a problem in reading this book thinking that it's all the past or that it's all only in the future. This book encompasses the entire church age. And so we'll get into the structure in just a moment. Because everyone agrees that there is conflict in this life. There is conflict until Christ comes. And the book of Revelation expresses that in multiple ways, tells us what's going on in the earthly realms and the heavenly realms, and from different aspects and different perspectives. So this is a viable helpful, encouraging, instructive book to every believer who will ever walk the earth until Christ comes. And that is why we're studying it. That's how we're going to approach it. So if you can find Revelation in your Bibles, uh, all of you should. If you don't know where it is, just go to the very end where they got the pictures and then flip back a little bit. It's the last book. What I want you to see here in our series title, um, you know how long I agonize over titles, um, because I want to encompass everything I want to say. In the book, Jesus calls his church, the most frequent titles are saints, set-apart ones, and conquerors. This is a book of victory and conquer, because Christ is the conqueror. So, saints, if you are in Christ, you are to see yourself as a conqueror, because you are united to the one who has and will conquer. However, we're going to read a book, like starting in chapter 11. Go to 11, verse 7. We're going to read a book where it is admitted that the enemies of Christ will conquer for a time. Chapter 11, verse 7. And when they had finished their, their testimony, those who testify of the Lord, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Don't be surprised, church. This is coming. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt. What's Sodom? Depravity. What's Egypt? Slavery. Where their Lord was crucified. You are going to, saints, you may suffer like Christ suffered. They will conquer you for a time. Again, the, chapter 13, verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And the authority was given it, uh, this is the first beast, over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So that can be discouraging. That can be scary if you see, okay, there's, there are conquering forces out there. However, they do not have the final say. That is not the prevailing sentiment. 
Go back to chapter 2. Next week we're going to look at the churches. Every church that Christ writes to, he says, to the one who conquers, there is a promise to the conqueror of each church. Let's just look at the church in Ephesus. First one in chapter 2, verse 7. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The enemies may conquer for a time, but we conquer forever and eat from the tree of paradise. And there's a promise in each letter, which we'll get to next week. Also, look at chapter 6, verse 2. I'm going to run through these quickly. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Uh, chapter 12, verse 11. I love to hear the flipping of pages. And they had conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Chapter, seven, chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image. And the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass. With harps of God in their hands. This is a triumphant book. Again, in chapter 17, verse 14. This is the, if you want to get, look at one thesis verse for the entire book, this is it. They, meaning the great enemies of God, they will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. That is what this book is about. And one more time in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give uh, from a spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Get in the picture? This is the book that we are beginning, and there are many, many, many more victorious quotes. All throughout the book, there is a reminder, trials and suffering are coming, but victory is in Christ. So, the series structure, each of you got a printout, hopefully. Um, this is not our typical in-depth series. If it's your first week here, normally the book of Revelation would take me like four years. Um, but... Uh, because I don't want to get in, into all the minutiae, and I want to give you tools to study the book. We're going to be in it for nine weeks. We have introductory week, um, and then as you see, there's a little chart in there. Um, the uh, seven parallel sections, we'll treat each one in a week, and then we'll do a wrap-up, uh, and we'll do, we'll, I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. Here's what I want you to know. This is not new to me. I'm not standing up here saying, uh, I figured all this out. Look at me. I've got the key to Revelation. Um, this goes back, especially in the Reformed tradition, for several hundred years. So up front, I gave you the resources I'm, I'm, I'm using. I'm relying heavily on William Hendrickson and uh, G.K. Beale. Uh, they, they're both fantastic. Everything, you know, there's, I gave you several resources. I can commend all of them to you. Here's what we're going to do in this series. I am not going to try to make sense of every weird interpretation you've heard. I am not going to tell you, here's this view, here's this view, here's this view, here's this view. I don't want to distract you, and it's not helpful. I'm going to tell you how to read the book and make it simple. What? We can make Revelation simple? Yes, it's supposed to be. Because if you remember that we are conquerors in Christ because he conquered, the things we don't understand, we don't have to all understand it all. 
but we look to him and we find our encouragement in him. So I want to offer you uh, tools. Um, we're mainly going to observe. We're going to look at what happens in the text. We're going to look at what is repeated often. We're going to look at the uh, parallels. Um, I want to help you read Revelation for profitability. I want you to see that this is a unified book that is consistent from beginning to end. Um, and so, yeah, let's, let's dive in, beginning in chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn among the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, you are glorious and awesome and majestic beyond all measure, beyond all comparison, beyond all explanation. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, for revealing yourself to us, for sending your son to die in our place that he would be our king, our priest, our prophet for sending your spirit to open our eyes, to seal us and protect us and to guide us through your word. Lord, may our time in this book that was revealed to the Apostle John, may it be an encouragement to your church. May we walk away hopeful. May the saints rejoice that we have been found in Christ Jesus, the conqueror. And in, in him, we conquer. May those far from you see that the only other option is judgment. That their fate would meet that of the great dragon and the beast and the prostitute and all those who would make war with the lamb, that it is eternal destruction. May they repent. May they wail for mercy. May they look on him who they have pierced and cry out to him. He will be faithful and just to save. It is in our Savior's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so this introduction, um, we're not going to look at many of these, these passages, but as an introductory week, the introduction of this book helps us for a lens to read the rest of the book. Um, and so it begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to ask is, in order to read the book of Revelation, we must ask, what type of book is it? John actually begins, the first word in the Greek is revelation, apocalypsis. It's an apocalyptic book. 
So an apocalypse is actually a genre of letter that doesn't really exist anymore. So this is how we read it. It's a book of revelation. It's a book of revealing. An apocalypse is prophecy heightened. It is prophecy that looks back, that um, exegetes the present, that looks forward with an eye on God's redemptive plan. The, the, the mysteries of God unfolded. His glory, his majesty, his throne, the uh, spiritual realm. You'll see a lot of this, this at the end of the book of Ezekiel, uh, the end of the book of Daniel, the end of the book of Zechariah. They all have apocalyptic elements. Let me just give you one example from Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar comes to him and uh, he needs his, his prayer, or, or his, uh, excuse me, his uh, dream interpreted, Daniel uses the same word here, the apocalypse, three times. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 27. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, no enchanters, no magicians or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Now, God hides the mystery, but God also chooses when to reveal the mystery. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Daniel, as we'll look too often, is also seeing a lot of the things John is seeing. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he, the God who reveals mysteries, made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. This is exactly what is going on in Revelation. God reveals the things that are to come, just like Jesus spoke in parables so that the world would not understand, but his disciples would. The book of Revelation is very similar. He reveals through his spirit what will come. Um, so this is a this is a apocalypse. It's a revelation. It's also a prophecy. Verse three: Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. So prophecy, as G.K. Beale says, um, in, in Revelation is foretelling. So forth emphasize the forth telling is to make something public, to bring forth a, um, information, instruction, exhortation. It, puts before the church something public that they need to know. And it's foretelling what you need to know now and what will come later. Prophecy within the book of Revelation does both. Foretelling and foretelling. It is, so thirdly, it's also an epistle. It's a letter. we just gone through two letters. And every letter we read in the New Testament, there is some kind of greeting and there is some kind of closing. This letter... Um, is of instruction and exhortation to real churches. Real people read this. So the guys uh, in, in the 20th and 21st century who are so fascinated with, with, philosophy, with uh, prophecy, I'm going to trip on this thing, um, that, that's all they, they think about. They forget this is written to the first century church with, with real people with real problems. And it's still applicable to the second century and the third century. And if the Lord doesn't come to the 30th century. So this is not just for you to try to figure out the puzzle. It's written to churches. So as we read, we must keep all three in mind. 
It is a revealing, it is a prophecy, and it is an epistle. Okay, next thing we need to know, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not a book about church history, excuse me, uh, world history. This is a book about Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is a book about church history. But because this is a book from Christ, about Christ, to the glory of Christ. That's our outline this, this morning. Verses 1 through 3, this is a book about Jesus Christ. Verses 4 and 5, uh, the grace that comes from Christ. And verses four through se- or 5 through 7, and the glory for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is where we're going this morning. This is what we'll be doing in the entire book. All right. Um, servants, this is written from God to the church. Notice this um, beautiful chain of custody. That God the Father gave it to God the Son. To show his servants, the church, these kingdom of priests through a servant, John, human servant, and, a, and, and an angelic messenger, a divine servant. God entrusts this to a holy messenger in heaven and, and, and on earth. This is divinely authored, transmitted with heavenly insights for earthly use. This is a book of, about Christ and his bride so that the bride would be encouraged. And he sent his angel and gave it to his most beloved apostle to make sure that it was an encouragement. And he preserved it by his spirit to encourage us. John is this witness of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why? So that the church will not be surprised. So that the church will be prepared. So that the church will be comforted because difficulty is coming. Remember, we looked at John 16.33 so many times. I told you these things. These things are, you're going to have trials and tribulations in this world. I told you these things that you would have peace because I've overcome the world. Same reason the book of Revelation is written. So um, John is, a, is testifying to all that he saw there at the end of verse 2. John sees many images and visions, and he writes them in the order that he sees them. Doesn't always mean that it's the order that they occur. So here's where we've got to stop. We've got to just, we're going to camp out here for a, a moment, admittedly. He writes them in the order that he receives them, which doesn't necessarily mean it's the order in which they occur. So think about it. When you read a book, comic book fans out there, um, books, especially the Bible, does not have split screens. Can't say this is going on here at the same time this is going on here at the same time this is going on here. Flashbacks and flash forwards abound. You can, tell, you can only tell one narrative at a time. And so that's what is going on here. Here's this narrative, and there's a point to this narrative. Then we've got another narrative, and there's a point to this narrative. Often, you tell those different, those different angles um, with different emphases. And so here's the first thing we have to see when we look at a text like this. God is outside of time. We can't help but read a book with time in mind. We are Western Christians. One comes after two, comes after three, comes after four. It is natural for us to read things chronologically. We read steps in order. But we're not the original audience for this book. This was not written to you. It has implication for you. But it was written to people who understood this this genre. It was written to people who were steeped in Old Testament uh, allusions. An allusion in an Old Testament is either a, a quotation, a reference, or a symbol. 
And the book of Revelation has more Old Testament allusions than all the other New Testament books. This is written to people who understood the genre and who saw the uh, visions. We're, we're reading outside of ourselves and outside of our culture. That's kind of why we have to stop here and address this. So God is outside of time. He's outside of space. He's outside of the, the physical realm. He's not limited by our limitations. So imagine John. John gets these uh, visions, and he gets a vision of the uh, physical realm and the uh, spiritual realm. And, and imagine another vision and another vision. What's behind that door? What's behind that door? What's behind that door? Is it even a door at all? And John's trying to write this down in human language and make sense of it. Let me challenge you. Any one of you, if you remember a dream, try to write out your, your dreams. You can, you can picture them, but you can't really explain, how did I get from this scene to this scene to this scene? Why was this person there? And I don't understand this. And so John is getting these, these prophetic visions, but they're held together by the Holy Spirit. Um, the different doors he's seeing, uh, this is very similar to the, the wardrobe in, in Narnia. You open the door, and hey, this, there, there are trees. This looks like earth, but it's not earth. There are all kinds of fantastic creatures, and there's a battle between good and evil in this whole world that we're not even aware of. We can be in there for years and become kings and queens and step right out of time back into our own time. Sound familiar? C.S. Lewis is a genius. It's a lot of what is going on here. So this is what we have in, in uh, Revelation. We call this recapitulation or progressive parallelism. That's why you have the uh, handout that you do. So recapitulation, we are recapitulating or reintroducing, restating each period, church history, the time from Christ's first coming to his second coming in many different ways in many aspects. The first 11, verses, or first 11 chapters focus on what's going on in the world. The uh, 12 to, to 22 focus on the dragon and what's going on in the uh, spiritual realm. And so when you read it, there is an, an, an intensity and a clarity that grows in each section. And so you'll see that as we go. We're going to spend a lot more time um, uh, fleshing that out. But I want you to see that. I want you to have it in, in front of you because this may be confusing just hearing me. If you're a visual learner like I am, um, I added colors in there for you, so be helpful. Um, but I want you to think, we see, this is not unnatural for us. We see this in, in the prophets, you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, we get a prophecy about Israel, and then we look forward, um, was it 750 years to Christ? We get a prophecy about Judah, and then we look to Christ again. We get a reference to the old covenant, and then we get a reference to the new covenant. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they just, Daniel, they just naturally dance between prophecy in the near and prophecy in the far. Um, I like the way John Piper it, it explains prophecy. It's like, if you've ever been on the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway and you look out and there's just mountains for miles and miles and miles and miles, I can tell you that there are mountains out there, but I have no idea how far they are from one another. They, they look like they're, they're, they're close. Prophets are not there to give you dates and times. They are there to relay a message that, that, that God relays. And so um, the, the book of Revelation is no different. And so this should not be um, too confusing. So we've got seven sets of visions for the entire church age. And in those, those visions, there'll be a rise and fall of tension between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Each one portrays judgment and triumph. 
And so that describes the church age. Um, another illustration, if it's helpful, uh, Richard Bauckham, another great book on, on Revelation, he describes it like watching a football game. I think this, this is helpful, right? Uh, we don't often think about this when we're sitting on, on our couch at home, but how many cameras are present at a football game? Especially an NFL game, you know, big um, NCAA, you know, AA, Power 5 school. How many ca camera angles? There's a, there's a camera for the offense. There's a camera for the defense. There's a camera for the offensive sideline. There's a camera for the defensive sideline. There's, there's a, another camera that shows the refs going to the instant replay. There are drones in the sky getting the field. There are drones getting the people in the stands. There are, there are also commentators up in the booth. Who are, who are telling stories and highlights from previous seasons. There are offensive and defensive coordinators who have a view of the uh, field. There's also a halftime interview. And then there's the, uh, the uh, post-game interview. Thousands of hours filmed for 60 minutes of play, for three hours of us sitting at, at home. And we just naturally see these things coming back and forth, and, and, we, and we put them together. Um, the book of Revelation is doing something similar. Seeing the same events, the same time period from different angles with different emphases, and they all come together to form a beautiful unit. Is that helpful? Hopefully. Um, this is why when you read the book, you might be confused like, okay, how many times does Christ return? How many times is there judgment? How many times is there defeat? How many times is, is there victory? It seems like it's happening over and over because it is. That's how we're going to read the book, and so we'll look at it. Um, this is also the millennial reign of Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords right now over all creation. And it'll be more helpful as, as we go. So I'm excited to show you that for all these reasons. But more importantly, verse 3. We're still in chapter 1. Verse 3. There is a triune blessing to reading this book. Tri, uh, the word triune means trinity and unity. There is a threefold blessing that is unified here. Notice it. Blessed and, key point for the rest of the book, this is the first of seven beatitudes or seven blessings in the book. Lots of sevens. We'll get there in a moment. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. This is expected in every church. It is expected that the church should read and hear the book of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads so much so that even when you read it, you are blessed by reading it to others. And blessed are those who hear. And blessed are those who keep what is written in it. This is a triune blessing to the church. I want, I want to read it because I want you to be, have benefit in studying it. But I want you to be blessed as well. Because this should be a blessing to us. So, when it says the time is near... Um, close by, close at hand, this could probably also be translated now. This book is a blessing to read, to understand, to apply to all of the church as it endures until Christ comes. The time is at hand. The time is right now. When is now? Now is now. When's a good time to read and study Revelation? Right now. Um, I want to look at John 14. Jesus gave us a similar reminder on the final night when he was with his disciples. John 14, 18 through 19. Notice the promise of Jesus here. The promise is no different in the book of Revelation. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet, 
a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. We read Revelation because in it we see Christ. Because I live, you also will live. This is why it's an encouraging book. Christ is alive. He is risen. He is reigning. And if he lives, through faith we live. Continue on to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, Jesus is going. He leaves us with his Spirit. His Spirit breathes out the word. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He knows that trials are coming. He tells them in the next chapter, tribulation's coming. I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to my Father, for the Father is greater than I. Everything in this book culminates with God and his people being one, with us being united with Christ and with the Father and with the Spirit. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. This is why the book of Revelation is helpful. Jesus just finished telling them things that are to come. He gives this to the church so that when we read it, we'll believe, oh, and there are wars and rumors of wars. Oh, there are, there are trials and persecutions. We are not surprised. We've been given plenty of warning. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. Jesus promised us, I am going. I will not leave you alone. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to my Father. I will bring you to my Father. I am telling you these things so that you know. Don't be surprised. The ruler of this world is coming. We'll get there in chapter 20, also chapter 12. But don't worry about him. He has no claim on me. He is coming. Mark my words. But he's my enemy. I will crush him under my feet. That is the book of Revelation. So let's move on to our final section here. Verse 4, sounds like any other letter that was written in the New Testament. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace. Sounds like Paul, sounds like John. The letter, like every good New Testament epistle, begins with grace and ends with grace. Look at the very last book, verse in the book, 22-21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. It's written to churches. It's a letter. It's meant to be read. It's meant to be encouraged. It is not a disconnected, mystical book for us to decode. It's to be read in churches. Now, also notice the triune authorship here. Grace to you and peace from him. There are three hymns here. Context will be helpful. To him who is, who was, and who is to come. The great I am. God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Oh, oh wait a second. Remember, there's going to be a lot of times where if you have an ultra-literal interpretation or hermeneutical grid for this book, you're going to get caught up. Wait a second. Does God have seven ghostwriters? All puns intended. Uh, is, or is there something else going on here? I'll tell you in just a moment. Can grace and peace come from someone other than God? Who are these seven spirits who are giving out grace? But maybe context tells us. Let's keep reading. From the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ. There is a triune blessing 
and there is triune grace given from him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits, and from Jesus Christ. What does that sound like? The Father, the Spirit, the Son. We'll get to number seven in just a moment, but look what is said about Jesus here. There is also a triune declaration of his person and work. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, perfect, sinless life, kept the law every jot, every tittle. Faithful witness, firstborn from the dead. He died, but he rose again. He is the firstborn of many brothers, the first fruits. Jesus' life, his death, and currently the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. This book is about the one who came, lived, died, and now reigns. It is a triune blessing from the triune God with triune authorship showing us the threefold ministry of Christ. Now get to the number seven. The number seven appears 54 times in the book of Revelation. And it is one of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation. Here's what you need to know about the number seven. It is always symbolic. Always. When you see the number seven, there's something more going on. In Hebrew numerology, the number seven means completeness. It means wholeness. It means fullness. And it usually, almost always, is something intangible. Like the seven days of creation gives us the fullness of the week. It appears 54 times. Therefore, when you see the number seven, something is full. This is the fullness of the working of the Holy Spirit. This is the fullness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit at the throne of Christ the Lamb. This is the complete work of the Spirit in his people all over. Don't believe me? This comes up four times in the book. I just want to show you one. Chapter 5, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6. And between the throne... And the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. When you see the seven spirits, when you hear that, how else can John understand that one spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of truth, the advocate that Jesus has sent, can go to all the entire earth? can indwell every believer at the same time and bring every believer to the throne of the Lamb at the same time. He just says seven because that means complete and full and lacking nothing because we can't count that high. So, in the book, you'll also see fours, lots of fours. Fours is a number of of, of completeness, again. But four is more totality, more all-encompassing. And four usually deals with the world, four seasons, four winds, four directions. That will come up often. You'll see multiples of four. You'll also see multiples of 12. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there as well. I just want to bring it up now. 12 is completeness and fullness when it comes to mankind, especially the people of God. 12 patriarchs, 12 apostles, 12 pillars, 144,000, which is a multiple of 12. Every time you see four, it's all the world. Every time you see 12 or a multiple of 12, it is all the people of God. And so these are helpful. 
If not, you get cults who are trying to say you are 143,999 and you're the last one. It's just silly if you don't understand what is going on in the letter. And we'll address them as they come. Final little section here. Beginning in the second half of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is a book about the glory of Christ, but sandwiched in the middle. What does John see? Right in line. What are we to remember when Christ glorifies himself in this letter? Notice the repetition. Don't forget the us. Let's look back again. This is a threefold blessing again. He who loves us currently, this is the beloved bride. He receives the glory, but we receive his love because he has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. This is the work of the Son. This is beautiful. Right in the middle of God glorifying himself, this beautiful doxology, we are reminded this book is written to us to encourage the church. Because the gospel says Christ loved us, for God so loved the world that his son took on flesh and came and died for us. He shed his blood for us, that we would be free from our sins, that not only would we be innocent, but we'd be made kings, we'd be made priests, we'd be his kingdom to glorify his father. That's what we're to see in this book. That's who the church is. Amen. This title of kingdom priest, we're going to flesh this out more. Um, this was given to Israel, ethnic Israel who failed. But now there's a spiritual Israel, sons of Abraham by faith, who will not fail. Why will the church not fail? How can we be guaranteed that we are conquerors? Because Christ has conquered. He has freed us. He guaranteed it on the cross. He will finish it in the day of his return. And if we are sealed in him, that victory is ours because we share his inheritance, we share his name, and we will be with him forever. Church, this is not a depressing and scary book. This is a glorious and wonderful book. Finally, behold, verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So, verse 5 re refers to his first coming. Christ, the faithful witness, he came into the earth. That's the beginning of the age. Behold, he's coming again on the clouds. That's his second coming, his glorious visible return at the end of the age. This entire book is looking from the beginning of the age to the end of the age. And it is full, it is rife with Old Testament fulfillment, like I mentioned. There are two here. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. You're probably familiar with this. This is Jesus' favorite designation for himself, the Son of Man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, again, same language, with, with behold, with comes. And he came to the Ancient of Days, who's the, the, the Father, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's what's happening when he returns. That's what we're to see. When we see the image of the, of the, the Son of Man coming in Daniel on the clouds, he's coming to reign forever. He has been promised this kingdom by the Ancient of Days, by the Father. And we are citizens of this kingdom through his blood. Also, there is a prophecy in Zechariah 12. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. There will be a time in these, in this, these, these final days, praise God, he pours out grace and he pours out mercy. Some will come to faith, but some so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced. Notice, notice that. When they look on me, this is God speaking. When they look on me, on him who they have pierced. God and the one being pierced, the one who uh, is spoken of in the same breath. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over the firstborn. Many will receive grace and mercy. Many more will weep and wail. If you don't have a proper view of the Old Testament, you will not have a proper view of the Revelation. You'll be confused in reading it. It is a book that looks back as much as it looks forward. It looks forward to the day when everyone will see him. You will all see him. You will all behold him, either with joy, because you've been given grace and received mercy from your sin, or you will wail and cry, because you know that all the wrath of God that was poured out on him now is on your head. And you will be thrown into the lake of fire. And the beasts and the harlot and the dragon, they share your cell. It is either great rejoicing or great weeping. This is a call to repent. Because when he comes, it's too late. There will be wailing on that day. So that's why there, John says here, even so, amen. La Verse 8 here. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. This is Jesus speaking here. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is not scared. Saints, should we be scared when we read this book? He's not worried about the end. He's not worried about his church. He's not worried about the world. He's not worried about the systems and the governments. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He knows the end. He's known it all along. This is to encourage the church. This is to make us bolder and stronger and more encouraged in him. And notice this book ends exactly like it begins. Go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, beginning in verse 13. See if any of this sounds familiar. Start in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. If you're not familiar on your uh, kids' sheets, 
the big A, that's the alpha, the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Meaning, I am the beginning and the end. First and the last. There is nothing before me, nothing after me. Everything is in between. Blessed are those, here's the last beatitude, who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. This is the gospel promise. But there's also a gospel warning. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Just like the gospel, this book means to divide. It, is very, it will be very clear who the sheep are and very clear who the goats are. The wheat and the tares are separated here. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Again, this is for the churches. Churches, what do you need to know? I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Three more Old Testament allusions here. Everything that the prophets look forward to, I am. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who, deser- who desires take the water of life without price. That book is for us. The ones who love his appearing. Who can read this book and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Whatever we have to endure before that, come, Lord Jesus, come. This is also how we approach the table. This table is for those who wash their robes. Those who have been cleansed in the blood of Christ. That they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. This table is not for those who love and practice falsehood. This table is for those who have a crown of righteousness stored up for them in heaven. This table is for the ones who love his appearing and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. If that is you, this table is for you. This is Christ's table, not Grace Fellowship's table. But... If that is not you, and deacons, you can grab the elements. I'll give people a few moments. But if that is not you, please remain in your seat because there is condemnation for those. It is taking the Lord's name in vain to stand up and say, this is my table, this is my meal, when it's not. If you are in Christ, this is a joyous meal and a great reminder that he calls us to come and eat, to come and drink, and it costs us nothing. But if you are not trusting in Christ, it will cost you everything. You must leave it all behind. You must die to yourself. And if you cry out to him, he will be merciful and just to forgive. Otherwise, you will cry before him as he crushes you on the day that he returns. I'll give you a few moments. You can prepare your hearts and minds for the table. And I'll give us instructions in just a moment.